Welcome. I'm Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm. I have with me two of my brilliant attorneys, Aaron Finkelstein, who's been our managing attorney for several years now and who has worked in different departments, including the green card department, and Ashley Barbone, who's been also with us for almost half a decade, I'm guessing, and whose main area of focus is uh, non-immigrant work in H1, L1, and all of the other non-immigrant classifications. In today's teleconference, we're going to try to discuss with you as quickly as we can and as many of the non-immigrant visa categories that we can that we believe you may not be as familiar with as employers either in the insurance industry or technology business or consulting companies, etc., as well as a few of the non-immigrant categories, the non-immigrant and immigrant categories that we believe you may not be as familiar with. So the ones that we routinely have discussed in other teleconferences has been H1 and L1. So this is all the other funky, cool stuff that we don't get an opportunity to discuss with you. The reason we want to share these tips with you and these other non-immigrant classifications is because we believe that these are strategic tips for you as employers to succeed in recruiting and retaining your talent because if there's a really top-notch candidate that you think you may lose, the fact that you may have, for example, an O-1 classification available for the person or a P possibly or some other or TN or a H-1B-1, those are the issues that we're going to just briefly, briefly discuss with you. The most common non-immigrant status that people sometimes don't even think of for work is the B-1 visa, which is B-1 is business visitor as opposed to B-2, which is the tourist visitor. And the reason you can remember the difference between B-1 and B-2 is because business always comes before pleasure. And so B-1 is the business visa that you need to use and that you can consider. So when people are coming for training, setting up stuff, attending meetings, uh, installation, stuff like that. B-1 is allowed. It has strict restrictions. The Customs and Border people at the airport uh, or the ports of entry will look at the letters, at the documents. They will sometimes ask you questions of your employees as they're coming in to ensure that it's not proper, proper work that would take away from a U.S. worker or a legally authorized worker. The exception to that is the B-1 in lieu of H-1. That's still on the regulations. When I was very recently uh, in October of 2013 at the three different consulates in India, when we visited Chennai, Hyderabad, and Mumbai, where we had meetings with the chief of the non-immigrant visa section or the chief of the consular section at each of the three consulates. They all three confirmed with us that B-1 in lieu of H-1 absolutely exists, that it is part of the law, and that they will give it credence when needed. Um, we have found that this, sometimes the CBP inspectors will ask questions and have occasionally sent people back, but we want to throw that out there because we know that these are extremely valuable categories. So the B-1 which is the business visitor, and the B-1 in you of H-1 when the cap is reached and you need people to come in and do H-1B work, but they are allowed under the Foreign Affairs Manual, which is the Department of State codebook, to come in and do H-1B work, but while on a B-1 visa until the quota opens up. So having tossed some of this exciting stuff up there, I'm going to ask Ashley to discuss briefly the TN for citizens or nationals of Canada and Mexico. 
Thank you, Sheila. So the TN category is for professionals that are engaged in a specific or specified list of occupations, uh, many of which are in the scientific professional category. They are only for nationals of Canada and Mexico. There are several advantages to this classification. Uh, notably, there's no annual limit or cap like there is in the H-1B, so you're able to file at any time of the year. Uh, applicants can apply directly at the consulate. Uh, there's no need for a pre or the border. There's no need for pre-approval from USCIS, um, and they can apply in one-year increments. Excuse me. And there's no maximum limit, so they can keep renewing indefinitely. One disadvantage, though, is that there is a non-immigrant intent, so they have to show that they're not planning to stay here permanently. And if they start a green card process, this could jeopardize their TN status. Wonderful. I know that the law changed a few years ago from one year to up to three years at a time for the TNs. Um, that was changed a while ago. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about it, like Ashley just pointed out, is that there is no max cap. So presumably you could do three, 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 even 10, 20, 30 times. So even though there's a whole non-immigrant visa issue, um, the non-immigrant, unlike the H-1B, which enjoys the dual intent and TN doesn't, uh, the fact is, even though you've been living in the U.S. for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years, they still continue to allow you to travel in and out between, for example, Canada and the U.S. Thank you, Ashley. So, Aaron, can we jump to you to talk a little bit about citizens of Chile and Singapore? What's their visa classification? Sure. So they have what's called the H-1B. One. Pur purposefully, I'm leaving a pause here, and uh -huh. I'm saying one. And the reason why I'm saying it that way is because it's really an H-1B in the sense that it needs to be a specialty occupation requiring a degree related to the occupation. It needs to be one where the employee has the degree and needs to be one where the USCIS blesses that arrangement, where, excuse me, where the arrangement is blessed so that it has all the same or similar criteria of the H-1B. The one, the addition, is that it does not need to be blessed by the USCIS. It can actually be obtained without a petition at the consulate. It's special for, as Sheila mentioned, the Chileans and Singaporeans, and it's a carve-out from the 65,000 H-1B cap that was previously there. It allows an additional 1,400 H-1B-1 visas going to the, um, going to, um, to the um, Chileans and 5,400, which are set aside for the uh, Singaporeans. The bad side of this particular visa, that's the good side, it's never been overutilized. It's never be reached its cap. So there's that availability for people from Singapore and Chile. The downside is unlike H-1B, which has the doctrine of dual intent, permitting you to be here on the H-1 and fully pursue a green card, this particular category does not have the doctrine of dual intent. True. Good enough. Thank you, Aaron. Um, if I can have Ashley talk a little bit about the E-1 and E-2 categories, uh, for treaty traders and treaty investors. Ashley, do you want to explain just a little bit? Sure. So this category is set aside for individuals that are nationals of countries where the U.S. shares a treaty with them in either commerce or navigation or similar agreement. There are two, two separate categories, E1, for individuals that are coming to engage in substantial trade in goods or services in the United States, and E2, where individuals are coming to invest capital and, in a business and actually develop and direct that operation in the U.S., um, like I said, they do have to be a national of the treaty country and that we have different treaties for E1 and for E2. Some countries are lucky enough to, to share a treaty for, for both of those categories. Um, another advantage is they can extend their E status indefinitely. 
and they can file at any time of the year because there's no uh, numerical limitation and they can apply directly at the consulate. Another strong advantage of this category is that their spouses are able to, to come and apply for work authorization. Wonderful. And unfortunately, citizens of India don't have opportunities because we have no treaty of trade uh, or treaty of uh, treaty investor or treaty trader agreements with India, though so many of the neighboring countries to India, which is more sometimes frustrating and aggravating for Indian nationals, is that, for example, Pakistan and Bangladesh um, and many other countries around smaller countries have such agreements. Well, the next category, which is comparatively more recent compared to the E1, E2, is the E3 for nationals of Australia. So, Aaron, can you just go over it briefly? Because if you have a citizen of Australia who's applying, I guess you would want to consider this category and their advantages. Absolutely. And it's similar to the H-1B and the H-1B one that I just described. This was added in 2005 as a uh, Department of State expansion to the definition of treaty trader investor. Uh, It's a non-immigrant treaty uh, for a non-immigrant treaty alien. It's in the E3. Um, It is focused only for Australia, and it has a maximum number of 10,500, again, a cap that has not been reached. Um, It essentially allows you to come in for the same purpose as an H-1B, which means you have to still file the LCA, Labor Condition Application. Um, You can get the LCA certified for two years. There's no six-year max, so it's indefinite. A person coming in on an E-3 is permitted for their spouses to work. And again, similar to the H-1B one, it doesn't require a petition. You can file directly to the consulate abroad. Uh, Similar to the H-1B one and similar to the H-1B is I think this is more of a kind of quasi-dual intent category. It's not exactly dual intent. It's not exactly not. Uh, What that means fully, I think, has to be bared out over time. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Aaron. And if I can just briefly touch upon the O-1 for individuals with extraordinary ability, it's very similar to the EB-1A that we're going to discuss in a few minutes. But basically, if you have rock stars, superstars in your team that are just smart, brilliant, bright, that have publications, that have awards, national or international awards, that are considered the absolute creme de la creme in your organization, uh, not just creme de la creme within your organization, but considered creme de la creme within your organization and within the greater community of like-minded professionals, Um, then similar to the extraordinary ability, you have to satisfy the three out of 10 criteria, though for the O1, they refer to it in different categories. It is, as I say, O is for outstanding slash extraordinary, which is the extraordinary ability. And the criteria is actually a little bit lighter, even though the statute itself and the regulations are very similar to the green card EB11 or EB1A. The fact is that they are much more lenient compared to the green card with the O1 category for individuals with extraordinary ability. Uh, The law itself says that it has to be something like a Nobel Prize winner, which I'm sure many of us would love to have within our uh, companies or organizations, but not they're few and far between, as we know. But there's a lot if they have been if there are articles that they have written, if there are articles written about them or their work, if they are judging the work of others, they're reviewers and they have a distinguished reputation and they command a higher salary in relationship to others within the organization and out in the industry, then I think, 
one is absolutely another option for you, for you as a business, as an employer, to consider for your rock stars. We'll jump from the O to the P category. And again, we could actually do A through Z, practically, or A through V, I guess. But we really are focusing on what we think are more practical and more common with most businesses, uh, whether it's in technology, in marketing, in arts, in entertainment, in music, etc. So, Aaron, let's go on to the P visa. So, P I'm going to cover as P1, 2, 3, and 4. P1 is the visa that's available for per, for people who are internationally recognized athletes, either as individuals or as part of a team. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that because if you know that you're somebody who quali- who potentially could qualify for that, you're going to have to get more details to be able to move forward. To know that category is there is fantastic. And Murthy.com has all the details and criteria, so you're welcome to go there as well. Absolutely. Come visit Murthy.com. P2 are visas available for artists and entertainers who are part of a cultural exchange program between the U.S. organization and a foreign organization. And P3 are visas that are available for individuals who are entering either to perform, teach, or coach in a culturally culturally unique type of exchange or type of program. I remember one of the first cases I did maybe 15 or 20 years ago was for Kathakali dancers, world-famous Kathak dancer who was able to stand on a plate and dance. And this gentleman could hold lights and do all kinds of fancy, nifty things that I could not even in my wildest dreams think of doing. So we have we have musicians, we have reggae artists, we have different kinds of musicians and musical teams and dancers and performers that are very good for the cultural exchange between the United States and a foreign country. And finally, what I think the most critical in the P's is the P4. Because as my wife has told me many times before, you don't go anywhere too long without your family. And the P4 grants status or grants status for the family members of primary applicants to come and join them in their stay in the United States. Wonderful, wonderful. And also, besides the family, of course, you have the essential support personnel for these that are granted the same visa in the same category as the performer or athlete or entertainer. So it's wonderful to know that people that want to enrich the culture and civilization and open our hearts and minds are encouraged from all across the world to come in and share their talents with all of us to broaden our horizons. Okay, so Ashley, let's jump on as we're moseying along here to the Q visas. Sure. So the Q visa is another international uh, cultural exchange visa for visitors that want to participate in a program that's been designated by the U.S., uh, USCIS, excuse me, to provide practical training and employment. And basically they're sharing their culture and history of their and traditions of their home country with uh, the United States. It does require a petition approval from USCIS and it's limited to a maximum stay of 15 months. I thought at one time it was only limited to Irish people, but I think since then they've expanded it from no longer limiting it just to Irish nationals or Irish citizens. Okay, so Aaron, let's move on to a very, very important category that actually a lot of consulting companies and others use when the quota is used up and they actually have proper training programs, the H-3 trainee visa. Uh, The H-3 is for trainees who are seeking to enter into the United States at the invitation of an organization or individual for purpose of receiving training in any field. Uh, Examples of fields could be agricultural, commerce, uh, communication, finance, government, transportation, or any of the professions, as well as training, you know, in purely an industrial kind of establishment or an industrial environment. Uh, The criteria is that you have to show that the proposed training is not available in the alien's own country, 
that the beneficiary will not be placed in a position which is nor which is in the normal operation of the business and which a U.S. citizen or resident could potentially be employed in a regular job, uh, that the beneficiary won't engage in active or productive employment unless the employment is uh, incident to the training and necessary for the training. And uh, in any event, it should be less than 25%. And finally, the training will benefit the beneficiary in pursuing a career outside of the United States. Um, this, this classification does require pre-approval from the USCIS. So you do have to file to the USCIS and requires detailed information about the program, about the source of remuneration, even though it can be from outside the U.S. or inside the U.S. Uh, finally, in this particular H3 category, there admit, trainees are admitted for the length of the program, but in no event should that program be longer than a two-year period. Wonderful. Thank you, Aaron. And I know from a politically correct standpoint, even though the law itself and the statute uses the word alien at the Murti Law Firm, we try to use the word foreign national everywhere, though I know the statute does say the word alien in many, many parts, and we do refer to it when we quote the statute as alien. So let's move on to those religious workers, the R1 visas. Ashley? Thank you. So the R1 visas are for... Um individuals that are coming to work for U.S. religious organizations that need personnel to fill religious duties. These can sometimes be ministers, monks, nuns, rabbis, or even other professionals such as religious broadcasters or translators. The, again, they do need a petition to be filed with the USCIS, and there's a maximum stay allowed of five years. Um, unfortunately, due to some fraud that has happened in this category in recent time, the USCS now requires an in-person site visit to the R1 employer before the petition can be approved. So the requirements for filing have gone up a little bit. Uh, yeah, yes. much more. You're right about the site visits, which is much, much more recent. But even the requiring the individual petitions to be filed is comparatively more recent because initially that was not required. And part of it is because there's been a lot of abuse and fraud because it's not just limited to the monks and the nuns and the religious ministers and the priests. Uh, whether it's in a temple or in a mosque or in a church or in a, uh, a synagogue. But really, like like Ashley just said, it's not just broadly broadcast translators. Even if you're cleaning toilets and cleaning stuff or you're uh, um, a nun and, and if you're involved with a nurse, to be a nurse in a clean, to, to, to take care of the ill as part of your religious duties, that is considered um, as part of an R1 category. So a lot of people have actually used it very, very creatively. And by the way, the O1, which is connected to the next category that I'm doing, which is we're going to try to jump now to the immigrant categories. In the O1, you even have like chefs. So restaurants can bring in very, very top-notch international known chefs in the O1 category. And the multi-law firm has filed, I believe, some of those. But similarly, the extraordinary ability category is very similar to the O1 for the rock stars. But now you're talking about processing immigrant petitions for the green card. So we're switching from the world of non-immigrant or temporary work to the world of permanent workers. And so the EB1A, which is the highest and the best classification because the dates are almost always current, the priority dates. So if you're lucky and your petition is approved and you're considered the superstar, then you could actually get your green card within a few months at the most a year or two. There is the same 10 criteria, and it's, you know, the evidence of winning national and international awards. It's articles written about you. It's by you. It's being a judge. It's having artistic exhibitions. It's making a whole lot of money. 
uh, or in comp- if it's in the field of arts in comparable fields. It's a very f- exciting area because there are a lot of gray areas and we've been very, very successful in winning many, many of these cases, though we know in the last uh, two or three years since the Kazarian case, there's been a little bit of tightening by the government in this field. The next I'm going to have a discussion on the multinational executives and managers, EB1C. Sure. So this category is for companies that need to transfer high-level employees to the U.S. from one of their entities abroad. Um, they have to have a qualifying relationship between the company abroad and in the U.S. This can be uh, the same employer branch, a subsidiary, or an affiliate. The individual generally has to have worked at least one year in the last three years at the company abroad in a managerial or executive capacity, and they need to be coming to the U.S. to continue working in, in a managerial capacity uh, in the U.S. Generally, an executive is someone that is directing the management of the organization, establishing company goals and policies, whereas a manager is managing the organization, supervising in, um, other professionals and managerial employees, and having more discretion over the day-to-day operations of of the company. And just to be clear, it's very, very similar to the L1A category, in which is the non-immigrant category that we we are not discussing because we presume that most of you are at least somewhat familiar with it. So it's the green card, it's the, it's the immigrant petitions for those cases. So again, the criteria and the standards are very similar, mm-hmm. like the O1 with the uh, extraordinary ability, the L1A and L1A is very similar to the multinational executives or managers. I just can just add one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, while it is very similar to L1A, it's not a requirement to have L1A before you file for the EB-1. So even if someone comes on H-1B, if there's a qualifying company abroad, it might be possible to transfer them back to the foreign company for a year, work in a managerial executive capacity, and and this could become a new uh, option for for permanent immigration. And and even if they, like you said, came in on an H-1B in the past three years and one year were abroad, then they could, we could still right away file while they're on H-1B into the green card, assuming that they were a senior executive or manager abroad for a year and that they're going to continue to do that work permanently in the United States for the U.S. company that is sponsoring them. Thank you, Ashley. We thought we should touch a little bit more in depth about something called the EB-2 exceptional ability. And the reason we are discussing that in greater detail is because we know that many of you sometimes have amazing superstars in your team that may not have a four-year bachelor's degree from the United States and that may or may not have a master's degree from the United States, so they're not eligible for the EB-2 classification. But if they don't get EB-2, then they're going to be very disappointed and end up leaving you and hoping that somebody else will file the EB-2 case for them. So there is something called the EB-2 for exceptional ability, where you don't need the four-year bachelor's degrees plus the five years experience or the master's degree plus the relevant two or three years experience. Uh, It is a lower standard than the extraordinary ability EB-1, but it's a little bit higher than the PERM EB-2 category on some levels, but not on other levels. So what are the basic requirements? Well, basically you need, the person needs to be considered a person of exceptional ability in sciences, arts, or business. And what's the definition of exceptional ability? A degree of expertise significantly above that which is ordinarily encountered. We still need to show the legal criteria for all most of the green card application filings, which is that we have to show substantial benefit in the future or prospectively to the United States, to the national economy, to our culture, or to our educational interests. And we have to show that the foreign national services, 
in the field are sought for by you as an employer, as a petitioning company. And unlike most of the other, which have like 10 categories or whatever, this is only six criteria and we need to meet three out of them. One, the degree of learning is related to the area of exceptional ability. So a lot of Indians that only have a three-year BSc or in Canada or UK, which is a three-year BSc or BS degree, that's actually enough. With documenting 10 years of full-time experience in the occupation, which I know many, many of the people have that experience, even if they don't have a four-year educational equivalent, which would make them eligible for the PERM EB2 criteria. And then you need a license to practice the profession or certification for the profession if such a license is required. Or, and or, the evidence that the individual has commanded a much higher salary, which demonstrates exceptional ability. Then membership in professional associations. And this is a much lower standard than professional associations, which require outstanding qualifications for their members like the extraordinary ability. And finally, we have recognition for achievements and significant contributions to the industry or the field by peers, by government entities, by professional or business organizations. And so you generally require a job offer and a labor certification unless the person's work benefits the United States in the national interest, what we refer to as NIW, a national interest waiver petition, which we have discussed in a few of our earlier multi-law law firm teleconferences, but the disadvantage or the advantage, depending on how you look at NIW, is that you don't have to have an employer file an NIW petition for you. But as the name itself denotes, we have to show that the person's work will benefit the nation in the national interest, which means that it has to have been an area of substantial intrinsic merit to the United States, that it must be national in scope, which is an argument that we've made and won in many other cases, even for regional uh, work. And the third, that the applicant must demonstrate that the national interest would be adversely affected if the person was support were had to undergo a labor certification. So we have EB2 exceptional ability, and in that there's a subcategory for national interest waivers. I'm going to ha- transfer it now to Aaron, and then, of course, you have physicians with the physician and IW as well. But I want Aaron to really focus on the Schedule A Group 1 and Group 2 because a lot of you as employers may be able to retain some of your very much more experienced people who may not have the relevant education and process them in the EB2 category, even though they may not be eligible on the face of it, and 99% of lawyers will actually refuse to take such cases, but we've been very successful at the multi-law firm in filing such cases more recently. Aaron? So for Schedule A Group 1, you're looking at physical, physical therapists and professional nurses. Group 2 is you're looking for people of exceptional ability, individuals in the science arts and the performing arts. Um, for physical therapists and professional nurses, so I'm going to start with the nurses because nurses pr- pr- uh, present the most sticky, I think, of issues. Nurses generally do not require a bachelor's degree because they don't require the bachelor's degree. They generally are not eligible for um, for um, for H-1Bs. 
So well, the result is that a nurse who graduates from a good program here in the U.S. will get OPT for 12 months. You could apply for the green card. Applying for the green card skips the labor certification. It's not really skipping because the labor certification is what's called pre-certified, which permits them to file directly into the I-140 stage, which is fabulous because it lets them get an earlier priority date. However, EB-3 for the rest of the world, India, China, Mexico, the Philippines, everywhere is backlogged substantially more than one year. So the result is after the one year of OPT, nurses generally struggle to figure out how they can maintain a working status in the U.S. Many of them will go back to school to get a master's degree program, or if they're bachelor's degree nurses, they'll try to be um, um, supervisors, shift supervisors. They'll try to be nurse anesthetists or some type of specific specialty within the nursing field that does require the higher degree and will permit them to pursue the H-1B. So nurses are a little bit complicated, and you do need to know what you're doing to go forward. Physical therapists also are in that pre-certification class, which means they don't require a PERM application. However, the benefit of physical therapists is that they are, because it's a degree that requires a minimum of a bachelor, because it's a field that requires a minimum of a bachelor's degree, it is a field that will permit H-1B, so they can go directly to the I-140 have a pre-certified labor cert, not have to go through the whole DOL process of recruitment and everything else, but then they're also going to be waiting for the opportunity for the dates to become current uh, in the EB-3 classification. Schedule A Group 2 is very similar uh, to the um, to the um, EB-2 exceptional ability that we were speaking about. And Schedule A Group 2 is, again, for individuals of exceptional ability in the science, arts, and performing arts. Um, now, these are people that the Department of Labor has designated that are um, that are that there are insufficient workers for, and that can bypass the normal perm application process to do pre-certification. Uh, it is one that ha- you have to go through criteria and has to get vetted. But I want to come to one distinction between this and between the exceptional ability that Sheila previously mentioned. In the exceptional ability category that Sheila mentioned, there is a labor certification approval. So NIW is not necessarily a factor. Showing national in scope is not necessarily a factor to get that case approved. And those cases that Sheila mentioned are fabulous because you as an employer want to get the I-140 approved so you can get continuous extensions on the person's H-1B beyond the six years. The only case you can file is EB-3. You file your labor, you get your I-140 approved in EB-3, and then it gives you the opportunity to recycle that same labor certification to use as part of the documentation to submit to try to go for the exceptional ability. Things like joining an organization, then joining a committee in an organization, then joining as the head of the committee in an organization can help for recognition for achievements in the field or in the industry, especially if it's a large or reputable organization. So I want to emphasize how an incredible category that is. The category for Group 2, since it does have the national and scope criteria, and that feeds back to the old NYS.case, NYSDOT, uh, it is a little bit of a harder case to be able to put forth. And many times, somebody who qualifies for this kind of criteria would also be looking for the general national interest waiver case. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. And are there any hot trends or anything going on in this area that anybody would like to comment about? 
or discuss. I know I touched briefly upon the Kazarian case. And did you want to say something, Aaron? Well, sure. I mean, there's so much to talk about. This is one I think that is a, uh, I don't want to use the word pet project, but I want to say near and dear to Murthy Law Firm because we've worked on and developed methods for filing this case, I think, that many other people have overlooked. Uh, the 10-year criteria, experience letters that don't just say he worked from this date to this day, but say that this was a person that he was a cut above the rest. He arrived and he succeeded and people want to be a part of his program and a part of his uh, pol- a part of his uh, particular group that's performing work. Those types of letters, they're not saying you're the creme de la creme de la creme. You're the top 0.5%, but they are saying clearly a cut above the rest, clearly somebody that is the growth and the key person of the company. Somebody who implements a software or a program or a system that the company accepts uh, company-wide, larger companies, medium-sized companies, evidences these changes that the person's operating on that exceptional ability level. So so much of this criteria is subjective that we find that a lot of people, we say, well, you might be exceptional ability. Then, no, I'm just doing my job. And then you say, how long have you just been doing your job? Oh, 15 years. Uh, what's your salary? Oh, I'm making in the mid-six uh, figures. Oh, and wh- who do you answer to? Oh, you know, when I'm dealing with projects, the CEO told me talk directly to him. And you find, wait a minute, you may not realize this because you've been doing it for so long, but you actually fit that criteria. So I just want to say that I believe is underutilized and is a fabulous thing for people to consider when they have those three-year degrees and they can't pursue an EB2 perm type of case. Wonderful. And I guess, again, it shows the importance of working with a good, good legal team, making your uh, case, looking to see how you can try to fit a round peg into a square hole maybe, and really flushing out whether a person may be able to fit in one of the other categories. Again, keep in mind that today with Ashley Barbona, Aaron Finkelstein, and myself, we've only touched upon what we think are the major, major categories, but there are many other categories as we talked about the alphabet soup. It starts from the A, B, C, D, and it goes all the way through through the V visa categories. Uh, So there may be other categories that we've not touched upon that may be applicable and apply to some of your people that we want to keep in this firm working in this country, keep to work for your company so that they can continue to provide valuable services to the company and your company can continue to be profitable and pay Uncle Sam their taxes so that the country can benefit from creation of more jobs and the economy benefiting overall. So, of course, you know, at the Murthy Law Firm, we've had a ton of experience dealing with different, different categories and criteria. We not only have the non-immigrant department and the immigrant department, but we have a special projects department that just focuses on unique, unusual, difficult cases, which are time-sensitive deadlines, appeals, um, and everything. We do the, 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 what do they say, the run of the mill, the cut and dried cases, the simple cases. And people sometimes think that we only do the world's most complicated cases. And while we're honored and delighted to have a reputation for being the best of the best, the EB1 extraordinary ability criteria that we meet, we would also love to do some of the more regular, uh, you know, what do they call meat and potatoes, the gravy people that can handle regular stuff so that when we do have the exciting and unusual stuff, we can make uh, things work for you and for your company so that in the long run, everybody benefits 
In the long run, we're convinced that working with the multi-law firm and with our amazing team, you will be able to recruit and retain. And that may be the best and the biggest tip that we left out, which is working with the multi-law firm will convince your employees, key employees and others, that we, that the company cares about them and that we are here to support them in, and the company in reaching the goal uh, of their getting the work permission, whether it's temporary or the permanent resident status in the U.S. And that may be your secret weapon to recruit and retain your best employees is to work with the amazing multi-law firm. And I've had people over the years tell me that routinely that they were able to steal someone from their competition or get them to stay with them by saying that we are going to be working with the multi-law firm for your immigration matters. So again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to continuing to help you and your business as you continue to do amazing things in a tough economy. Oh, and before we forget, we did want to invite you all to participate in an amazing super duper teleconference that we are organizing for businesses and employers that will touch upon some really key ingredients of issues of how you can look at issues from an HR perspective and how you can successfully recruit and retain your smartest and best and brightest. We advise you and invite you to sign up while there is early bird registration with very heavily, specially discounted fees. And we think that you will get your time and your money worth in, with the investment that you make in really understanding the landscape of how you can continue to succeed and thrive. Aaron, did you want to add anything? Just the name of the, te the premium teleconference is Proving Your Case. It's um, it's how to obtain a how to to maximize your chance of approvals for for employer vendor client H one B type of petition scenarios, and uh, we'd be delighted to share that knowledge. It's from an HR perspective, and I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And even though it's an HR perspective, it's really for businesses, consulting companies, and others that have the EVC model, which many many of our clients we know go through that. And knowing the the kind of scrutiny that the government is placing on your cases. This is really a golden opportunity to get the inside secret, the inside knowledge of how to improve your chances of success and approval for your H-1Bs and for your green cards and possibly the L-1s. And we look forward to partnering with you in your continued success. Have a great day.